It's Judge Rosemary Aquilina. She was the judge in the Larry Nasser case. And I talk about her in my first book and everyone just loved her. So I went back to ask her some questions for the second book. And she said to me, I hate questions that begin with why. And of course, my question was why? (laughs) Why do you hate questions that begin with why? She doesn't like them because she feels like it puts people on the defense. And that makes sense because in her world, she has a lot of sexual assault cases. And so she hears a lot of, why were you wearing that dress? Why were you out so late at night? Why did you drink so much? Why were you walking alone? And those are questions that will put someone on the defense. And so she thinks when we're talking to people we love, we should avoid that word. So I wouldn't ask your husband, why does it bother you so much that I want to go back to work? Why don't you want me to go back to work? But instead something like, tell me what you're feeling about this possibility. Tell me what most concerns you about this. Tell me where you think it could be helpful. Do you see any areas where this would actually be a good idea for us? And again, that type of curiosity, those questions will allow you to make a better ask when you're actually advocating for the thing you want. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton. And if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I am so happy that you are here to join us. And this month, if you've been following along, we've been having a conversation about expectations, advocating for what we want, voicing our opinions, voicing our desires, and so much more. And our guest this month is Heather Hansen. Heather is a self-advocacy expert, on-air legal analyst, and award-winning trial attorney. Let's just get the bloopers out of the way right at the beginning. There we go. <laughs> love <laughs> Heather, it. I love it. Heather, it's awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here with you, Kim, and with all your listeners. Well, when the email came in introducing you to me or me to you or both ways, I didn't even share this with you in the pre-chat that I was going through quite a lot personally. I have five kids. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. And I was struggling with my husband. And right then when I saw the email and I'm very open and transparent on here, like I realized I needed to be my own advocate. And I saw this email and I think it was just about the same time that I picked up the phone and actually got a therapist. And this email was part of that nudge. So I just want to thank you. That makes my day because that truly is the reason I wrote this book is for people to recognize that no one's going to do it for you. No one can do it better than you can. And simply by picking up the phone and taking that action, Kim, you began the process of advocating for yourself. So you've made my day. Awesome. And I hope everybody's hearing this. I mean, there's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and or opening up your computer and going after what you need to thrive and survive. As a trial attorney, I would have to imagine that you saw a lot of cases or see a lot of cases where people try to change other people rather than working on themselves. Yeah, I think that that's true. So my work as a trial attorney was defending doctors when their patients sued them. And one of the things that was really clear to me is that it's so interesting. The patient would get up in the witness stand, swear to tell the truth, tell the jury a story. 
And then my client and the nurses and other doctors who supported him or her would get up on this witness stand, swear to tell the truth and tell a completely different story. And it really showed me that everyone has their stories, their versions of what's happening in their lives. And sometimes the stories that we tell ourselves help us, and sometimes they hurt us, and sometimes they're effective in helping us get what we want, and sometimes they're not as effective. And so to sort of recognize that we have that choice is enormously powerful. How much do you think the blame game has to do with people's, I don't want to say failure, but lack of advocacy for themselves. I think that that is part of it. I think that when I have seen the blame game, so not only in my legal world, which I've done for 20 something years, but also I'm now a coach. I coach a lot of women one-on-one. I also do some consulting and training in companies. And one of the things about blame is most of the time, what I see underneath blame is shame. So a lot of times people feel, to your point, Kim, they're ashamed that they didn't do more for themselves. Sometimes the most hard fought cases in my legal world are when parents sue on behalf of their children. And I think that they have some feeling that they should have done something differently. They should have spoke up. They should have known somehow. And that makes them all the more angry and frustrated and looking for someone to blame. And we do the same thing in our personal relationships that we feel like, I should have anticipated this. I should have seen that he was cheating. I should have set my boundaries more clearly, more quickly. I should have asked for that raise. I should have asked for that promotion. All of these reasons that we blame ourselves, and that's so uncomfortable that we then want to blame someone else. But truly, that is not effective. It doesn't serve anybody. And there are ways of changing our perspective, which is one of the tools of an advocate, so that we can stop doing that and start taking action that works for us. Oh, that was so, if you had said that to me two years ago, you would have been like cutting me deep in a good way. I needed to hear that two years ago. I had gotten into a bad client situation where I had no boundaries. I would get text messages at 2, 3, 4 a.m., feel like I needed to get up, but I had set that expectation for them that I would and set that expectation for myself that I would. Needless to say, it got bad because like I wasn't getting any sleep. I was just taking on way too much. And at the end of that client relationship, I realized that I was pointing a lot of fingers out. And I remember around the same time I saw something or read something that when you're pointing at somebody else, you've got a couple of fingers also pointing back at you. Mm -hmm. I realized, Ooh, yeah, I didn't have to say yes. I could have very well said, no, I could have said my hours are da, 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 da. That's right. It's so funny because I've experienced the same thing. I actually was texting with a client today who was upset with herself because she feels like she's such a good advocate for the people in her life and not for herself. And I do think those of us that are strongest at advocating tend to give those skills to someone else. I have done the same. I have been in exactly the shoes that you just described with my legal clients. I was always available six in the morning on a Saturday. Sure. You can call me. You want to prepare because, you know, representing doctors, their time is at such a premium that sometimes it's 4am when they want to have a conversation. And instead of saying that's not going to work for me, I would agree to that. And here's the thing that I have learned for sure. You end up feeling resentful and that resentful energy, that negative energy, that tired energy, it doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't make your client happy. It doesn't make you happy. It doesn't improve the relationship. And so now I know 
that everyone is best served if I have those strong boundaries and I do what I can to advocate for them. I mean, I talk about this in the book. For someone who is a very well-known advocate who was named one of the top 50 female attorneys in the state of Pennsylvania, I was terrible at advocating for myself. And once I learned to do it, my entire life changed. How did you learn how to do it? It was really a realization. Like I was having, I describe it in the book, I was having a meltdown in my car. I was in back-to-back trials and I had just started doing legal analysis and I was sitting outside of Good Day Philadelphia and really wanted to be doing more of the TV. I wanted to start writing a book. I hadn't yet written my first book. I was in a relationship. I wanted to spend more time with that partner and see whether or not that relationship was even going to work. But I hadn't asked for any of that. (laughs) How dare I ask? Instead, I was just resentful and upset and sad and frustrated and scared. And I was sitting outside of the studio crying my makeup off, which isn't effective when you're about to go on television. I called my best friend and I just kept saying, I need help. I need help. And I think she was really worried for me. And when I hung up, I realized I need an advocate. What I would do for my client in that situation would be to get clear on what my client wanted and then ask for it in a way that makes me most likely to get it. And that's all advocating is. And so I had to do what I would do for someone else. So first that's getting very clear on what I wanted and I needed, and then asking for it in a way that was effective and most likely to get me what I wanted and needed. It's so hard for us sometimes just to ask though, because for me personally, I felt like I was being greedy or bossy and I was raised to not be either way. And as a, I'm just going to say it, as a woman, sometimes I feel like voicing my needs comes across a different way than when a man does. And that might be unfair. And I'm working my way through that. I'm working on getting rid of the word try from my vocabulary, even with my husband. And listeners, if you've been around for a while, you've heard this. And sorry for the TMI, but not sorry. Simple things like saying, okay, if you want some action, you need to get into bed earlier because waking me up at 3 or 4 a.m. when you come to bed doesn't work for me. I felt so bad with that feeling like, oh, I hope he doesn't come to bed and want some tonight because I need my sleep. And then I realized, but I have to because I'm being resentful. Like I want my husband in my bed, but he needs to know that that doesn't work for me. That's right. There's so much that you've said there that I want to follow up on. The first thing is trying not to use the word try. I love that you are making that a priority because one of the tools of an advocate is words. And the words that we use impact not only what I describe as our outer jury, which is friends, family, clients, customers, whoever it is that you want to persuade, but also your inner jury, which in my definition is that's the part of you that listens and chooses. And so when you work not to use words that impact you negatively, it's work worth doing. And so I too work not to use the word try because I don't know that it's effective, but let's talk about asking because what you're describing is something that I too have struggled with. I just recently heard someone say a lot of people use research as me search. We write the things that we need to read and we study the things that we need to learn. And all of this is stuff that I needed to learn. And so I have always been very tuned into other people's feelings, Kim. And I get the sense that you are as well. And as a result, I usually know what they need before they have to ask for it. And I usually work to give it to them if I love that person or want to serve that person. 
I think the problem is that we expect the same. So we expect the people in our lives to know what we need without having to ask, to know what we deserve, what we've earned, what we're entitled to before we ask. And then if we're forced to ask because they don't, we feel like we're asking twice and that feels needy. And so I think the first thing is to recognize that if you haven't said it, you haven't asked it. If you haven't told your husband, I would be much more loving if you came to bed at 10 and looked for love than at three, then you haven't said it. Even though you might feel like the way your body language and you're humping, you know, you're like making those noises and turning your back, that's not asking for what you want. And so you've got to be really clear. And then the last thing I would say, and this was a bit of an aha moment for me in the courtroom, the trials, sometimes they're a couple of days, sometimes they're a couple of weeks, even months at the end of the case in our closing, I will always take the verdict sheet, which has the question that we ask the jury. The first question is, do you find that the doctor was negligent? And I will show them the verdict sheet. And then I will ask them to answer the question. No, that's my win. I am very specific in that because I want to make it clear and easy for them. And what I realized is why not be that specific with the people in my life, my outer jury in my own world. And when I started being that specific, everything changed. Hmm. There's so much there. I was going to ask you if you have a list of words that you recommend taking out. And then you said another word that actually my therapist brought up with me because he noticed that I kept on saying need, I need. And he said, what if you work on switching that to I will? Mm. I do. So with that said, do you have a list of words that you recommend your clients work on removing from their vocabulary? I don't because different words have different meaning for different people. So for me, try is one of those words that, you know, it's Yoda. You either do or do not. There is no try. But some people like to think like today I'm going to try to, and it gives them some motivation. I do encourage the listeners to know what the words that you're using actually mean. Because words have power. Maya Angelou was famous for, and I love this about her, she believed that words had energy and that they would actually enter the walls of her home. And so if people were using negative words in her home, she would kick them out because she didn't want the energy of those words in her home. And words do have energy. And I think it's worthwhile for you to look at the words that you use often and think to yourself, like, what does this really mean? Am I saying what I really want to say here? You know, the first tool in the book is elegance. And a lot of people are like, what? The root of the word elegance is to choose. I looked that up because I liked the word elegance and I wanted to know what I was really saying when I was using that word. And so I encourage the people I coach and also your listeners to look at the word origin. Where does the word come from? And that might also help you to develop some mantras for yourself. Where does this word come from? What's the origin of this word? And then own the word in a different way. And then you can decide what the words make you feel. And that's a good signpost for the words you might want to stay away from. Whoa. A struggle that my husband and I had a couple of weeks ago, and I just told him, listeners, you know, I love my husband. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I told him I was struggling because when I was being brought up, my father would tell me he would do things and not follow through. So when people tell me that they're going to do things, I expect them to follow through. Like it, it hurts a lot when it doesn't happen. But I also realized that when I tell myself or my 
clients that I'm going to do something or my children that I would have a lot of guilt. Things would happen. I mean, with five kids, things happen all the time, but I would feel so guilty when I wouldn't follow through. And I'm working on that for myself, but I realized that part of that also had to do with expectations. There's 24 hours a day. I need time. And I am going to say the word need there. I need time for myself to unwind. But I was loading my plate so full that I was committing to stuff that would take 48 hours in a day. Yes, I can pull that together for you by tomorrow, but I've already got (laughs) 36 other things that I committed doing for tomorrow and there's no way I'm going to get them done. So with that said, my expectations for myself, I've started doubling, tripling, even quadrupling the time frame that I say I can get stuff done in. Because when I come back and I get it done by the time that I say I'm going to, it feels so much better than not following through. But the struggle that my husband and I had was, well, his love language is touch and mine is service, which I'm sure you can understand based upon what I just said. But I said, I'm struggling because it just feels like you don't care when you don't do what you say you're going to do. But at the same time, I was doing the same thing. Right. We have to give ourselves grace. Well, I think that's right. And I think the fact that you're communicating that to him, I mean, Kim, you already have a lot of great things in place. You're seeing things through his perspective. The fact that you're even aware of his love language and that you mention it in the confines of this conversation mean that you're seeing things from his perspective to some degree. And that is another tool of an advocate and it's a very valuable one. So I think that you should give yourself some credit for that. I think the other piece of it is, I think it's great that you're giving yourself more time for things. I think also to be willing to say no is enormously helpful. And the other piece that's often hard for my clients and for me is to be okay with B minus work. So if you only give yourself an hour to say, edit your podcast and you tell yourself, I will get it done in that time. Sometimes that means it's not going to be a plus work. There might be a couple of things in there that you don't want in there or whatever. But to know when B minus work is still going to get the job done and allow you to have the energy to do some of the other things is worth considering. I think that we oftentimes hold ourselves to unrealistic expectations. And then when we don't meet them, we want to hide. And instead, I think that we want to make sure our expectations are realistic. And then when we can't meet them, and that will still happen, we want to own it so that we can build credibility with ourselves as well. Oh, I love how you just said that because my B minus work might be A plus to somebody else. Most of the time it is. That's exactly right. Most of the time, those of us that are perfectionist and very driven, it is the case that our B minus is, first of all, absolutely fine and meeting the expectations of other people and oftentimes over exceeds other people's. And so giving yourself that little bit of a break. And also, I think that sometimes this holding ourselves to the A plus work, Seth Godin talks a lot about shipping it. Like you've got to ship the work, just holding on to the work and keep looking at it and making changes to it. You will never get it out there in the world where it belongs. And sometimes it's the feedback on the work that makes the work even better. So it's a fine line. There are some people who need to aim for A plus work, but I think that for the perfectionists who are listening out there, being okay with B minus works, giving yourself an hour to do a task that should take you an hour and then it's done in that hour and you have to ship it, I think is a good way to start training yourself. (laughs) 
My oldest graduates from high school this weekend. And Congratulations. My two, thank you. My youngest two are finishing kindergarten today. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy days in the life of Kim Sutton. With my oldest, his father is very scholarly and has different expectations, very much actually like my mother's. If I was not on the honor roll in high school, then I was grounded. But I've had to remember that C is average. C is okay. As long as you do your best in the time that you're given. And this goes right hand in hand with what you said. If any of my current husband and my kids get to see, but they did their best, that is totally okay with me. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I think also doing the C work on something may give you more time and energy, which is even more important to do the A plus work on something else. Not every kid is going to be good in every subject. Not every kid is going to be good in traditional education. And I think it's important to recognize that we all have things that A plus comes a little bit easier in. And it's important to have those things in our lives because one of the things I have my coaching clients do is keep an evidence journal. And I want them to keep evidence of their talents, their skills, their capabilities, their passions, their value, the things that they deserve. And I ask them to write things down every day. And I think it's really important to know where you do A plus work so that you have that to look back on, to remind you on the days when you're not feeling so great about yourself. So a kid who gets all C's in school, it might be phenomenal at music or acting or STEM or building or plumbing. I mean, there's so many other things. And so just knowing that there is a plus work out there that will come easy and some things a C will come hard. Oh my gosh. It's like you were sitting at our dinner table last night. (laughs) My oldest, my second oldest and my youngest are boys. The oldest and youngest boys are musically inclined. They hear something once, they can hum it, they can whistle it right on tune. Wow, to get that from me. Yeah, right. I will never sing on the podcast. My second son was complaining because he got graded in music in junior high. And he must be tone deaf. I love him dearly. But seriously, his notes are nowhere near what the song is. But the kid in sports, there's no competition there. It's like, well, your genius is not in music, dude. It's in sports. And you've got your math inclined too. So don't be bummed that you got a B in music. At least you knew the no on paper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And everyone has to have their skills. Otherwise, we would all just be the same, plowing away at school or plowing away at music or plowing away at sports. And having these different skills and knowing ourselves well enough to know that we have different things, it allows us to collect that evidence and then believe in ourselves. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. If you haven't gathered by now, I love empowering entrepreneurs with the systems, support, and community to work smarter instead of harder. So today I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com forward slash connect to find a huge list of resources and ways that you can connect with me and my community. Remember, it's not about being everywhere, but it's about being in the best place for our business at the right time. Again, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash connect 
to see the whole list of ways that you can connect with me and other members of the Positive Productivity community. Now let's get back to today's episode. As a mother, when my first was born, I I quit my job. He had some health issues and I stayed home with him for a little bit. And I, I was feeling a little bit guilty because I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted him to be taken care of. I don't know the right way to say that. Maybe both, maybe some days one more than the other, but I really wanted to work. I loved work. And finally, I advocated for myself and I told my husband then, I need to go back to work. This is making me crazy. I cannot stay home anymore. And there was a little bit of resistance. How do you recommend taking those first steps to advocating for what we know we need to thrive and survive, survive and thrive, whatever way you put it. Let's take that situation as an example. I think the first thing is the preparation is everything. So the first thing is to see things from your husband's perspective. Like, how does he see this situation? Is he enjoying having me home because more things are done around the house? He feels more secure that our child is taken care of. He likes to have dinner as a family. So once you see things from his perspective, it doesn't mean that you're agreeing with everything. I always say that if I don't see things from the jury's perspective, I can't change it. You have to see it before you can change it. And once you see things from his perspective, you can address his concerns, right? If he's concerned about things not getting done in the house, then when you talk to him about other options, bringing someone into the home or daycare, you can also say, and, you know, maybe one day a week, we can have someone help us out, or maybe I'll end early some days so that I can handle these things that I've been handling. You can start to address his concerns so that he knows he feels seen, he feels heard, and you can both win. So perspective, that's one of the tools of an advocate. That's one of the first ones that I would recommend that you use. Another is evidence, collect evidence. I'm more agreeable when I'm working. I'm more likely to be fun when you come to bed at 2 a.m. when I'm more agreeable. I will be a better mother and collecting the evidence to support your ask. And then the last thing is asking questions. And one of the things is, And I talk about this in the book, in the questions chapter that, and this isn't my idea. It's judge Rosemary Aquilina. She was the judge in the Larry Nassar case. And I talk about her in my first book and everyone just loved her. So I went back to ask her some questions for the second book. And she said to me, I hate questions that begin with why. And of course my question was why, (laughs) why do you hate questions that begin with why she doesn't like them because she feels like it puts people on the defense. And that makes sense because in her world, she has a lot of sexual assault cases. And so she hears a lot of, why were you wearing that dress? Why were you out so late at night? Why did you drink so much? Why were you walking alone? And those are questions that will put someone on the defense. And so she thinks when we're talking to people we love, we should avoid that word. So I wouldn't ask your husband, why does it bother you so much that I want to go back to work? Why don't you want me to go back to work? But instead something like, tell me what you're feeling about this possibility. Tell me what most concerns you about this. Tell me where you think it could be helpful. Do you see any areas where this would actually be a good idea for us? And again, that type of curiosity, those questions will allow you to make a better ask when you're actually advocating for the thing you want. Theoretical situation. A new client approaches you for coaching and they're feeling unsettled. How do you suggest that they find where they are unsettled and how to advocate for themselves. Unsettled in what way? I would want to explore that. I'm a big fan of mediation. I'm a big fan of listening to the voice within. 
But I think that most of the time, what we're talking about unsettled, it's often deciding between different choices. And the first tool of an advocate, as I mentioned, is elegance, which is also choice. And I have in the book, a three-part process that you can go through in order to make the best choices. But I want to be clear on this. We will never know ever whether we made the quote, right choice, because something I choose today could impact future generations in ways that I will never know. We'll never know what the other choice would have wrought. We'll never know that. So the three-part process is the first part is to know that you're choosing. We often think that the things just happen to us and that life is just happening. And we are constantly choosing. When the alarm goes off, if we hit snooze, we're choosing not to get up and work out or spend time with our partner. When we get up in the morning and we give our partner a kiss, good morning, we're choosing to show some affection to start the day. All of these are choices and you have to know that you're choosing. The second part is to know, I say, who is choosing? Is it habit? Is it anger? Is it ego? Is it your mom's voice in your head? Is it your partner's voice in your head? Or is it your inner jury, the part of you that wants what's best for you and that should be choosing? And then the last part is to know your reasons. I actually ask my clients to make a list of their reasons, reasons for one choice, reasons for the other choice. And then what reasons do you like best? That's going to be the choice because you'll never know whether it's the right choice, but you can know whether it's the right reasons. And I think most of the time, if someone is feeling unsettled, that process will help them. I love how you brought up who was choosing because I thought you were going to say, I mean, even your spouse is choosing, but I never thought about guilt, fear, yes, voice in my head. I never even thought about that. Yeah. And those parts of us are most often choosing. Fear chooses often. Liz Gilbert has a great little riff on fear where she says that it's as if your life is a car ride and fear gets to come along for the ride. Fear needs to feel safe. So fear's in the car, got his or her seatbelt on, sitting in the back though. Fear does not get to drive. Fear does not get to hold the map. Fear does not even get to control the radio. And I think that fear doesn't get to make your choices. In the best of all worlds, it is, I call it the angel inside, but it is your inner jury, the part of you that knows what's best for you that's making your choices. (laughs) With my two oldest boys, 15 and 18, one has his permit, the other one has his license. When I'm driving, they feel that they should tell me how to go, what lane to be in, where to turn. I love it. They know all the rules. Uh huh. I've only been driving for almost 30 years, but they want to tell me how to drive. And there's so many times that I want a roll of that metallic duct tape, whatever it is, in the car. That might be classified as child abuse. But now you've got me imagining having that roll of metallic tape for fear. Shut your mouth. I'm taping you up now. I read, and I need to reread it. See, now you have me monitoring my needs. (laughs) Uh, Think and Grow Rich. I read it at a point where I wasn't ready to read it. Does that make sense to you? Of course, yes. Yeah. So when I say I need to reread it, it's because I know there's so much more that I could have gotten out of the book. I just wasn't ready to read it. But one of the most memorable parts of the book was when he's talking about his board of advisors, the ones who are in his head. Who would you have on your internal mental board of advisors? Like who would be your first three choices? 
Well, there's a lot of people outside of me that I would choose. Maya Angelou always comes to mind. She is someone who I often think of in those situations. My mother is another, my mentor at my law office. But the way that I like to think about this is I like to think of Heather in the future. So I'm 48, maybe she's 78. What would she tell me to do? What would she say about this choice? What would she say about the anxiety that I'm having about a comment that I made last night in a telephone call that I'm regretting? I imagine her to be successful and happy. And I see her very vividly. I work hard to picture her. What is she wearing? What does her hair look like? What is she doing? And if I were to sit down with her and say, I have this thing going on, what should I do? I think that sometimes my best advice comes from her. But I also often think about the people that I just named. And I think too, it depends on the issue. If I'm looking to be a little bit more aggressive in a negotiation, then it might be one of my mentors at the law firm who was always known to be very aggressive. But if I'm looking to be a little bit more loving or nurturing, then it might be my sister. So I think that that board changes, but the constant is future Heather. It's so fascinating that you have future Heather in there. I, I really appreciate that. Visualization has become a more active part of my life. Do you use visualization often outside of future Heather? I do. I mean, I know how powerful it is. So I work to use it. I sometimes forget. We've got so many things. There's a laundry list of things that we know we could be doing to improve meditation, yoga, working out visualization, journaling. And sometimes I can get myself, even my mother will often say like, you're acting a little precious. You know, I can get myself like, oh, I've got to meditate. And then I have to journal and then I have to visualize and then I have to do my mantras and the day is gone. So I do work to visualize future Heather. That's one that I've done enough that it comes pretty easily for me. I do work to visualize some of the things that I want in my mind's eye. And my friends, so we do a vision board run it right around New Year's, myself and some of my friends. And they make fun of me, Kim, because I leave a lot of white on my vision board. And when they make fun of me, I always say, and this is an Oprah line, I believe that God has bigger plans for me than I could ever imagine for myself. So instead of visualizing it, just offer it up to fill this space with greater dreams than I could ever imagine. I got the biggest smile on my face when you said that you leave a lot of white because I'm staring at my vision board. It's right in front of me on my wall. And the whole background of my vision board is turquoise because that's my favorite color. And there's a ton of turquoise, probably a half to two thirds of the board is turquoise with no words on it. My vision board is more of a word and a feeling board. Mm, I like that. Because it's how I want to feel. Admittedly, my now six-year-old twins tore up my materialistic vision board when they are about a year old, it fell off my desk. And the next thing I know, it's in, <laughs> in sheds. But looking back, I really appreciate because that was probably the beginning of looking at my life in a little bit of a different way. I was reading yesterday, The Full Spirit Workout by Kate Ekman. And I want to get to, you know, we haven't even said the name of your book yet. <laughs> I want to get to that in just a second. But it was either that or I was also reading Feelings Buried Alive, Never Die. In one of those two books, I was reminded that we are human beings, not human doings. Yep. And that was like a, a good gut punch. Like, oh, what do you want to 
be, not what do you want to do? Who do you want to be, Kim? It's like, oh, okay. So now that we've mentioned a whole bunch of other books, Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want and Get It is your new book, which was released this week as of when we're recording. Is this your second book? It is. How did this book come to be? Well, the first book was called The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. And the first book was a very, Publishers Weekly called it a template for achieving life and career goals. It's a short paperback summary of some of the lessons that I learned in the courtroom that you can apply outside the courtroom. I sort of always called it that book, All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. This is like all I ever needed to know I learned in the courtroom. And it was well-received, but I felt like it wasn't prescriptive enough. It didn't give me the tools that I needed specifically to start advocating for myself. So Advocate to Win is meant to be very specific that if you use these 10 tools on yourself and your inner jury first, always you first, and then on your outer jury of clients, customers, friends, family, students, patients, anyone you want to influence and persuade, that you can actually start winning. And I just want to be clear as we talk about words, my definition of win throughout the book and in my life is it's a Cambridge dictionary. It's one of their definitions and it's to receive something positive because you have earned it. So winning doesn't always mean getting exactly what you want, but it means that you always get something positive when you earn it by advocating. Ooh, can you repeat the definition one more time? Yes. It's to receive something positive because you have earned it. Because you have earned it. That's the part that really struck out to me because, or stuck out. I'm not in a violent mood today, people. Struck, gut punched. Don't, <laughs> don't think anything about it. I like it. But so many people think about winning, but it's not about earning mm. sometimes. It's just about winning. How did I get what I want? Did I do it fairly? Did I actually deserve it? Well, and I think that when you earn it by advocating, there's so many something positives. That's one of the things that I ask people when I work with them. What is your something positive? And it's best if you have a list because then you're guaranteed to get some of them. Absolutely. Before I met Dave, my husband now, I actually created a soulmate spec sheet of things that I wanted. And he had most of them. When you brought up the kindergarten lessons. And then I was looking at your book title. I was thinking that one kindergarten lesson I would like to change is it's okay to color outside the lines. Yep. Why are we so worried about staying inside the lines? Yeah. I think it goes back to some of the things that we've talked about with women and feeling like we have to be perfect and we have to have a plus work and we don't want to be needy. And a lot of it is conditioning, But I want to just remind people that it's a choice. It's so easy to think it's not, and it's tempting to think it's not, but all of your power is in the knowledge that it's a choice. You can draw outside the lines anytime you want to, you choose not to. And that choice may have served you in the past, but if it's not serving you any longer, then you get to make a different choice. This summer, because I didn't have enough to do, Kim, I have a psychology degree and obviously the 20 some years of experience counseling my clients through trials, but I wanted to specifically get life coach training. And so I trained as a life coach over the summer. And one of the things that I, many things I took away from that is just the power that we have to choose and how many people don't want to own that power because it puts them in control. And sometimes it's easier. And this is wrapping us right back up to where we started 
to blame others instead of owning our entire lives and every choice that we make. I am cracking up over here. And I'm going to explain why. (laughs) Well, it goes along with what you said, but in a little bit of a tangent. So my son, the oldest one, had his senior award ceremony the other night. And all the kids are dressed up in their suits and ties or dresses for the girls. And parents are looking nice. And here comes Kim Sutton, me, (laughs) with my t-shirt and sweatpants. It's like, Jake, I'm sorry. I'm such a slob. He's like, you're not a slob. You're comfortable. That's right. And then I was looking at the forecast today because graduation is outdoors, still dealing with COVID. So we've had 80, 85, 90 degree weather here in Ohio for like the last three weeks. So I was bracing for super warm weather, being out in the sun for a couple hours. All of a sudden this morning, the weather changed and it's going to be 55 and cloudy. It's like, what am I going to wear? And then I got this brilliant idea. I have a long skirt that I can very comfortably put sweatpants underneath. I love that. See that? I choose to be warm and comfortable. I am not the star of the show. That's right. And even I will if you are win the star by of the being show. warm. Yep. And even if you are the star of the show, so much of it is what's going to be most comfortable for you. It's all about energy, Kim. You are going to be giving off a much better energy if you're warm and comfortable. This is why I stop wearing heels most of the time. Because if I have cute shoes on, and that does change, I think, the silhouette of an outfit, but my face is grimacing and my energy is painful and angry, I am not going to be as effective as if my feet aren't as cute, but I have a big smile on my face and I'm bouncy and full of energy. And so I think that protecting your energy and making choices that serve your energy is an endeavor that is well worth undertaking. Yes. I love that you brought up the shoes too. I can't even tell you how many events I went to where either I was just going to be in the audience or I was speaking where I got new shoes because I was so concerned about what my feet would look like, but I didn't think about the pain. Yep. <laughs> Some of those, like they were at resorts and you would have to walk like a mile from your bungalow to the center. I'm like, oh, you didn't think about this. And then I realized after a few of these, probably four or five, flip-flops work just as well. Yep. Just like you just said, I can have a lot more conversations when I'm standing up and with comfortable feet than hiding in a corner, rubbing my feet and trying to find band-aids because my feet hurt. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Heather, where can people get your book, learn more about you, connect with you on social and all that wonderful stuff? Well, the book is available anywhere books are sold. You can also find it at my website where you can also find videos that I've done, links to my podcast, links to the work that I do with people. And that website is advocatetowin.com. Same as the title of the book. On social, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the things, but I'm most active on Instagram. I share almost every day. And that's I'm, I am Heather Hansen with an E-N for Instagram. I share various things that I'm teaching in my courses, things that are coming up to me. I'm a voracious reader. So I'll share things that I'm reading and it's my favorite place to play. What are you reading right now? So I read one book, a fiction book before I go to bed. And then I read nonfiction during the day. I just finished for my nonfiction book, The Leader's Brain by Michael L. Platt. I have it here in front of me because I'm going to be interviewing him. It's a fabulous book about the subtitle is enhance your leadership, build stronger teams, make better decisions and inspire greater innovation with neuroscience. 
So it's all about the neuroscience evidence for the things that we do. And then I just started, it's by John Acuff and it's called Soundtracks. And it's about a lot of the things we've talked about here, where if you just keep repeating thoughts in your mind, it's like repeating a soundtrack. And how do you put a different soundtrack on that will lead you to different thoughts that are more effective for you? I'm probably a quarter of the way in that one. And it's great. The fiction book I just finished that summer by Jennifer Weiner, and I loved it. And I've started, uh, I think it's called Special Place for Women. It's another fiction book that I started, but I am a voracious reader. I love to read. Me too. So listeners, all the books that we talked about, including Heather's book, Advocate to Win, 10 Tools to Ask for What You Want and Get It, plus all of her social links and her website link will be in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp seven. Three zero, Heather, thank you for being so enlightening. I'm actually really looking forward to thinking about what future Kim would think about my decisions. And I'm going to envision turquoise metallic duct tape with a voice <laughs> of fear in my head for the future. So thank you so much for all your wisdom today. Thank you so much for having me and for allowing my voice in your listeners' ears. I know that you don't take that lightly and I appreciate it. Oh, you are so welcome. Heather, do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can leave with the listeners today? Yeah, I think that it's just a reminder that no one can do it better than you. My clients used to always say, I wish you could go up there for me, to testify on the stand. And there are sometimes I wish that too, but no one could do it better than them. They were the ones with the experience, the passion, the smarts, the talent, the heart, the voice that the jury needed to hear. And that is you. No one can do it better than you. No one knows what you want and need and why you want and need it. So have confidence in that and advocate for yourself and you will find there's a difference in the way that you get responses. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.